If you enjoyed the Filmmakers Podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. The Podfacts Network! Hello and welcome to episode 269 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where I've lost my voice, but it's also where we talk about filmmaking. <laughs> From indie film to studio film. And everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to... F them up, in our very humble opinion. Welcome to the show. I am Giles Alderson. I'm Dom Lenoir. I'm a writer, director and producer. With a very sketchy voice. And I am Dom Lenoir. <laughs> Again. <laughs> I can only remember my name. What do you do? Do you write? Do you produce? Not, do you very, not very much. No? no it's obvious. <laughs> Uh, I direct, produce, write, and... That's what I said. Apparently do podcasts. You are. You're a host and this is, you have a new mic. So everyone's really chuffed about that. Yeah, yeah, you can hear my uh, dulcet tones on the Filmmakers Podcast. And sadly, my dulcet tones are a little bit uh, weathered because when we recorded this podcast at the Shakespeare Sisters' house, which is Mm. delightful, by the way, uh, they had a cat. And I've not been really allergic to cats for a while, but for some reason, as I was eating the lovely cake that they gave me, the mixture of the cake and the cats, I've lost my voice. So we're recording this intro after we recorded that, obviously, a couple of days later. We actually went back in time because the Shakespeare Sisters are doing a science fiction movie. So we thought, let's go back in time and record the uh, the intro later. Yeah, because we're here to talk about their brand new film, Much Ado, which is playing... Dom. Opening night at the London Independent Film Festival. Which date? April the 1st. What time? 9pm. Amazing. And tickets are where? In the ether of the internet. No, in in the show notes, Dom. In the show notes. There we go. Well done. Welcome to podcasting. And congratulations you for being involved in some way of helping the Shakespeare sisters get their film seen. It's a wonderful, wonderful ongoing collaboration and uh, always incredible fun working with those girls. They always feed me well, which is very, very important. And also, just just to throw in another little cheeky shout out before we go back into the Shakespeare Sisters. I have got film that is closing the festival as well. So opening night and closing the, the, the festival, which is when the screaming starts, which you've uh, already heard about from Fright Fest and mm-hmm. me going on about it many, many yep. times. Uh, but that's exciting news as well. That is very exciting. So you should buy tickets to both of those things. There you go. Uh, what do we talk about on this week's episode with the Shakespeare Sisters? We talk about attaching producers, making two first time features, how to network and find projects. How do you make two first-time features? Uh, we'll come to that. You just uh, do. We, we, <laughs> we also talk about navigating film festivals with the Shakespeare Sisters have become very good at. They are adapting a novel at the moment as well, and we touch upon that uh, and how you can too. And moving up to bigger budgets. Anna and Hilary Shakespeare are wonderful, and they're a delight to hang out with. So we did have a laugh. And uh, much joys and jollies, so hopefully you will enjoy that, as well as giving you lots of facts and information that we always do mm-hmm. on the Filmmakers Podcast and if you do like this do tell your pals honestly it's really important to grow for us we do this for fun we do this because we love it we love helping uh, other filmmakers and we got burnt when we first started and we don't want that to happen to you so if you do like this 
go on iTunes and give us a five-star review, please. It'll really make a difference. It just makes us feel nice, warm and fuzzy that people actually like us. But also, it really actually makes a difference for the love of the podcast and more people hearing about it. Don't forget to join our Patreon. We have so much behind-the-scenes footage on there now. Stuff that gets cut from the podcast main because we want to save it for the Patreon. So if you're a Patreon listener, there's so much stuff on there. If you're not, do join. Links to that is in the show notes. And we have amazing merch, don't we, Dom? We do. Wear it proudly to uh, this very podcast. Thank you so much for listening last week as well to Tracy Jarvis and Steve Jarvis talking about uh, their film followers that I produced as well with them. And it's still in cinemas. It's got booked for another week. It's done really well. So thank you so much for listening to that. Do go watch it in the cinema as well. But if you haven't listened to that episode... It's really brilliant. It's really, really interesting. We talk about EIS, we talk about structures, and we talk about finding investors. So do go have a listen to that. Next week, Dom, we have on the fantastic Chloe Chidasama and Leroy Sincade who are here to talk about their film The Last Rite which we saw at Fright Fest pretty much as I saw it the yeah. same day as I saw your film When the Screaming Starts yeah we were like back to back and, and you know we, I saw on, on social media like oh they're, they're playing uh, the same night that we are and then every like <laughs> we were getting the same articles we were getting the same like favourite mm. films of Fright Fest lists we were playing on the same Big evenings and, and days it was just a nice little camaraderie from uh, filmmaker to filmmaker it is and their film is out uh, I believe on Friday but we'll we'll put that in the show notes and we'll certainly let you know uh, on our socials as well it's a brilliant film they've done so well it's their debut film for both of them and it's a joy so look out for that next week let's get to it then shall we Dom? let's do it here it is myself and Dom's chat with the lovely Anna Elizabeth and Hilary Shakespeare otherwise known as the Shakespeare Sisters Unbelievable. For the, for the record, Dom has clapped. Oh. There was a group clap that was summoned and I decided to clap. No, there was one clap that was summoned and Dom decided to clap. So we're off to a flying start. Flying we're, we're doing some um, interesting synchronizing techniques. We are. So we're at the Shakespeare Sisters' house yes. right now. We're also been given some cake. Ah, uh, not just any cake. Right. So, you know, just just to provide some backstory here. Please, um, tea and I, cake, I, I, I by like the being way. fed. It's it's often I feel like some of the collaborations that you know, myself and the Shakespeare sisters have done have mm. been led by food yep. uh, or, or influenced by food. Yes. We walked past in Soho, one of my favorite cafes called Letto, I think it is, or Letto. Unbelievable cakes, patisseries. My delight was very apparent. I said, uh, all right, well, Giles is coming around to do the podcast. Maybe we could get some cake, you know, get something for Giles that's vegan. Yeah, she said it was in the T's and C's of doing I, it. I, I may have, I may have, <laughs> may have thrown that into the C and C's. Brilliant. Little Good. did I expect the best cakes in London to Arrive. be brandished. We've got pistachio, yep. we've got carrot cake, mm-hmm. we've got red velvet, we've got vegan chocolate cake. But these aren't just any cakes. They're like towering, mm. you know, monuments of deliciousness. Going for the mouthful. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> is it delicious That's really special there it's soft inside but yeah quite hard on the top thick I can't tell if it's a bad thing or creamy. a good thing that's actually delicious there oh. we go right filmmaking right filmmaking because that's what we're here to talk about as always this is amazing because this is the second time you've been on the podcast which I love I love reoccurring guests because it says that they carried on from making films. And that's why we're doing this, to help people make films and encourage in any way. And for people who come on to encourage. So when people come back, it's like, yeah, they actually then went and made another film or another film. And, and that's, I think that's fantastic. 
right? I mean, that's it's a really nice thing. And you have, and we're here to talk about your next film, uh, Much Ado About Nothing. It's actually Much Ado. Yeah, this is, a, this is an in, yeah. ingoing joke. It is. I thought I wouldn't brief. And I got it wrong. I thought I wouldn't brief Giles on it. So you could walk right into it. <laughs> it is but. called Much Ado. Yeah, it's really nice coming on again because I feel like we've learned a lot since the last one. That was right at the beginning. And then now kind of we've made this film. We've learned what it was like releasing Soundtrack 16 because we hadn't released that yet. So <laughs> it is quite like, it's like a nice little milestone. It really of. is. Great release team for that one. Yeah, Dom, <laughs> yeah. Dom worked on that. So he's going to big himself up as always. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I had more cake. <laughs> I was about to ask a question and I literally put cake in my mouth. So let's talk about the journey from where you were with Soundtrack to 16 and we, when we last talked to then the distribution platform and where you are now with Much Ado because it's about to come out. You're doing festivals now, but it will be released later this year. Yeah. So it's a perfect time to talk to you and, you know, see what that journey was. So let's remind people what um, Soundtrack to 16 was about how that came about just a little we can give them just a yeah. bit and then we can talk about the distribution process so yeah so uh yeah so last time when we spoke we had actually just shot sound uh, much ado and then soundtrack 16 was just being released and that so soundtrack 16 is a coming of age film that was our first feature we hadn't done anything before um, we didn't really know what we were getting into and we produced that with ben jakes who did know a bit more about what he was doing so that was that really helped us there. And yeah, so we just kind of shot that super low budget about kind of having your first kiss and romance and that kind of stuff, being 16. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was a weird order because we like shot Soundtrack 16, then shot Much Ado, then brought Soundtrack 16 out. Yeah, um, right. And in a way, like, that meant that some of the stuff we learned from the distribution, we couldn't really apply to Much Ado. So like, I don't want to say like we made the same mistakes twice, but like- But they made the same mistakes twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think it's like doing too low budget features is like probably I wouldn't do that that way again. Like we were talking about this earlier that like, it was kind of a weird thing to do, like kind of the same, like similar budget, kind of everything we did, like we did them in a quite similar way. No, we were thinking from a career progression standpoint mm. it would have been good to make soundtrack 16 bring that out use the buzz from that to try and get better funding for the next film for sure right <laughs> whereas which we kind of have still done but in the between we've been like making this other one and then it's been a bit like people are like oh you're still making micro budget indies and we're like no we want to move up yeah we are but it's like i guess by the time your film comes out you always feel like you've moved on from it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i mean i think it, i think it's definitely an interesting way that you've done the two releases staggered but there's there's always so much to be learned from doing these incredibly low budgets because there's so many more challenges to do so i'm, I'm sure in terms of feeding into the new stuff that you've developed by having done the other two, even though maybe they're not the budgets you wanted on the second one, there's so many lessons that you've been able to bring forward in developing The Unreason Say, which is the next one you're working on. I mean, we'd never like straight produce something on our own before. Like doing that, and I, we saw Ben the other day and I was like, that was hell without you. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I like that, I'll put that in my gravestone. But I was like, <laughs> yeah, I think I think doing the, like having done every job ourselves on, the, on Much Ado, we definitely like learned so much from that and like kind of, I guess, went, yeah, it was different. I definitely don't regret doing Much Ado, even though I think it wasn't like, if we planned it out, we wouldn't have done it maybe, but mm. I don't regret doing it. Cause I feel like, also I just think from a sanity perspective, because when we were bringing out Soundtrack 16, we'd spent so long in post-production that I could almost barely remember filming it. 
Yes. And it was like, yes. if we don't yeah. shoot something now, I don't know if I'm going to really feel like a filmmaker because we're just mm. in in the office promoting and like... Yeah, mm. it's like all I'm doing is like emailing and like, I don't know, it just feels like, why don't I just have an office job? And then you're like, okay, actually, yeah, I need to do something creative. So. Well, that's it. You want to feel like a filmmaker and it is that word feel like a filmmaker. And when you're not creating, you don't. You suddenly lose that and that bug comes back almost as soon as you finish, even though it was so hard when you were shooting all those problems and you go, oh my God, I was, we're never going to do it like that. Literally, it's almost the next day you go, why aren't I doing it again? <laughs> you can't help it, right? It's this bug in us that wants to do that. I love that you went, no, no, we're going to do Much Ado straight after soundtrack, even though you're saying, look, maybe we shouldn't have done it that way or maybe it was a different way to do it, but you did. And therefore you've got two films before you were potentially gone through the whole sales and distribution route and you knew different ways. Wow, are we American? Yeah, yeah. All the Americans that listen went, oh, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. So glad. I hope they're not going to talk about levers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but because you, like say, you, you didn't know that yet. So you just still went out and made another film. Let's talk about the soundtrack to 16 sort of distribution side and how you got it out because it was a success, you know, it was really brilliant, you know, to talk to you guys and then see what, you did with it and the success of it was incredible it was really brilliant whether you felt it or not for me as an outsider looking in it was like no the girls are doing really well and oh, I that's that's really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah i think the other day i met you you were like oh yeah i saw your um your like uh, stamp on uh yeah. look mom no hands bathroom you must be doing really well and i was like yeah i took a shit and look mom no hands like put my <laughs> sticker all over it <laughs> yeah. doing great doing great doing great success is short soaring there it was um, minding my own business <laughs> In the toilet, and there's a sticker of Shakespeare's sisters on the wall. There you are, made it finally. Don't know, you're like, yeah, you're everywhere these days. Yes, everywhere Anna goes to the toilet. Yeah, every toilet in it's London. Like a lot yeah, of shit. yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it did feel like I think the funny thing is actually the first thing we ever did for Soundtrack 16, like promotional wise, was that the filmmakers podcast. And I remember like, like you know, nagging you and like being like, let's do it and stuff. And then I think like when we were emailing people, like trying to get press at the beginning, I always said, oh, we just did this. And and then it kind of, I guess, is that like snowball thing where you've got to always sound like you're like a little bit ahead of where you actually are. Mm. And then just like keep sending everyone all the ammo and like, yeah. you know, kind of building it up and up and up and then kind of building up the brand of, of the film. And then I guess when we did like the cinema stuff, it was easier to get reviewers to come along. And then we got onto like Rotten Tomatoes and got a good rating there. And then we used that for like distribution. So yeah, it kind of felt like it was just like trying to build it like bit yeah, by bit. Yeah, I think there were a few mm. specific things we did that worked. Like one was doing like the cinema screenings, which Don worked with us on. Um, and that really helped. Cause like, it was like having a physical thing to ask reviewers to come to and like being like, you can talk about this thing, it's coming up. So I think that was like the real benefit of that. And then, although obviously then COVID hit, so we can continue the way we planned because we did have a bunch of screenings booked we only managed to do two of but it felt like so much more though I mean we, we sort of planned all these different cinemas uh, you know across or across the UK and I, and I think the one we did do was was such a it felt like such a big one that it, it had the appearance of a cinema run and then Covid kind of hit and everyone forgot about it so it's like oh yeah you guys did a, a cinema run but you know I always think it is so important if you can mount a cinema run like it's just it does you know as, as the sisters say it gets people there yeah it gets reviewers there if you choose a decent sized venue and it's in Leicester Square, it kind of adds prestige to the film and you know, the reviews add to the festival run, add to the cinema run and, and suddenly it's got some buzz around it. Well, let's talk about how you did 
get the cinema run then? Because this is before distribution. This is before you've got your film, you know, in the mainstream. It's, people are talking about it. It was doing festivals, I think. The order of that stuff is, so we'd done, we'd done most of the festival. Well, we'd done what we thought was our entire festival run at that point. Um, we'd like mm. only been to a few festivals, but we felt like, you know, it was hard. We weren't really getting into many more. And we were like, oh, it's, it's probably quieting down. It's time to release. And then um, and then we did get, we got distributors that were um, evolutionary films and they were going to distribute in the UK and be an international sales agents. So they were going to do it on platforms in the UK. But we kept the theatrical kept rights, basically, which was like, I think a really good thing to insist on because when they when we were like doing the contract negotiations, they originally wanted to have the theatrical rights. And we were like, you know, it's a small film. You're probably not going to use them. So can we just keep them? And they said, okay, yeah, sure. See, that's great. That's really good advice for people out there because they're, they're like you say, very unlikely to put it in cinemas, yeah, but yeah. you can mount your own. Independent filmmakers can mount their own by ringing round cinemas. Yeah, right? and, and people people really think that you can't do limited cinema runs yourself. like Because distributors naturally, they think, well, I've got to mount it in like 30 or 50 people. I've got to spend like five, 10, 20 grand on marketing. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. But if you're a small group of filmmakers, you can set up your own office. You can, you know, just post on groups. You can invite your friends personally. You can invite hundreds of people at once. You can get the press people to announce the screenings and all these different things. Mm -hmm. And you can just ring the cinemas themselves. And the thing is, if you're doing one evening or, you know, at one particular chain, it's much easier to convince them to put on a screening than it is if you're asking them to put on, you know, like a, a week or, or a, t a 10 day period. And if you if you look like you've got your marketing plan together, then it, it certainly comes together. And I mean, one thing I did want to ask is the, the Shakespeare sisters are extraordinarily good at getting people to screenings. And I, I still haven't worked out the, the secret, but all of the screens seem to be packed. Like, what are, what are your tips for, other than the, the you know, the, the gun to the head, like, what are your tips for getting people down? <laughs> I feel like you're actually someone that's kind of similar. So I thought, I feel like we learned it a little bit from you, but I mean, we literally, we just message everyone. We Dumb know space. we don't let Dumb them space go. right now. <laughs> I mean, that's another thing I felt like with the cinema stuff at first, like I remember we contacted people in like Suffolk and cause we knew, we knew we could get people out there and stuff and they just didn't get back to us. And I, at that point, I think I mean I was fairly used to rejection, but not at the level that I'm now used to, where I'm like, oh yeah, I send 20 emails out, like one will come back. Whereas I think Dom was like, oh yeah, obviously you have to like call them three times and like, you know, if they don't pick up, like go down there. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh okay, that's how you do it. Like that's how other people have been doing it because I guess I yeah I just didn't realize like you have to just keep pushing through the rejection and almost like just turn off your like emotional brain. Mm. I mean, I guess that's yeah. like part of it. It's like having no shame. Yeah, no, no, that, that is it. And, and you've also got to be willing to be incredibly annoying uh, to, to get through. Because, <laughs> which you're good at. Uh, which I am very good at. I, 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 you can always say professional. But I mean, a lot of the time these places, you know, they'll see so many of these emails come through. It, it might be like half the emails don't even get past the spam folder. So it's not even read. And even if it does, Sometimes people have such a blinkered view in terms of, oh, well, this is an indie film or we've seen this before, so we're not going to do it. And you have to get them on the phone to explain, okay, well, this is the unique angle and this is why there's an interesting story because, you know, they can be quite reluctant in terms of like press exposure. Um, exposure? Exposure. Exposure, it's um, a thing. And, and so it, it is that, sometimes that, that pestering is, is simply just to give them the information that they haven't really taken in from, you know, the email. I think you guys are very good at the sort of unassuming repeat, <laughs> <laughs> re repeat like pesters that, that seem very friendly, but... 
get the message across. I was thinking about the uh, what, what we do do to get people to cinemas, and I think well, the top tip is like having after parties is quite good for getting our friends to come. Mm. Because uh, then they're like, yeah. they're like, oh, a cinema ticket. And you're like, yes, it's a ticket to the cinema, but then we'll party. People are much more willing to pay for come to a party That's than so a screening. True. Yeah, it's like no one wants to pay to watch a film. And then you're like, forget the film. You're coming to a party. You have to sit in a chair for two hours. But like at the end of the day, you're like, Then yeah. we'll party all night. Drink all you want. <laughs> I don't know if our friends and just like do. drinking a lot. But and yeah. I think that's a really good tip because you're, you're offering something else you're not just saying oh here's a cinema ticket where they could go and see the next marvel film or something you're saying no we've got this but actually we're doing this as well even if it's a, something as silly as a raffle or a you know a karaoke or whatever it is i think it's something to say we it's not just a cinema ticket you're buying into us and then at that point you can start talking about the other films and hopefully there might be some investors there there might you know you do it as an event it's just jumping into the festivals Thing a little bit with soundtrack to 16 did you have a, a plan did you have a were you blanketing it all and did you learn from that which you took into much ado where you maybe did it slightly differently yeah actually it's quite different because with soundtrack to 16 we didn't know what we were doing like we were literally like applying to like sundance and stuff we were just like mm. trying to think of festivals we'd heard of because we didn't know anything about film one thing that i think i didn't realize and then we worked out really like really worked for us was we basically brought the because we brought the film out before like in the uk before we went to us festivals so actually right. that was really good because in my head i thought oh you've got to keep a film back you've got to like make you know make sure that it doesn't look old or out or and then actually because we managed to do like such a big push on like reviews and branding and stuff some of the festivals are submitting to be like exactly the same festival you know and it would like the difference between the film was not like it wasn't the actual film, like the film edit hadn't changed, but it was just the fact that I had all the, like all the stuff behind it basically and like the reviews and the promotion that that really helped us get into the American ones. And then we could, had quite a good reach in America. Because kind of our order of things was that like, yeah, we, we went to just a few festivals, then we released in the UK and then COVID hit and we'd like done all of this stuff and it was coming out. We pushed really hard for, and actually we, we should talk about this after, but the release, like what worked, what didn't, but like, mm. um, but yeah, we were pushing really hard for like, like, but it was just released in the UK and we didn't have any US distribution. We hadn't even played at those festivals. And then we started suddenly getting into festivals, which I think is because we'd done such a social media push. We'd done right. all of the reviews, we'd done all of that stuff. And then we start, and then it, our festival run went on for like another year or so that we thought when we thought it was over, just because then we started getting into yeah, stuff. Yeah, like one of the best ones is where we went to Fort Lauderdale international film festival yeah, yeah. and that was like amazing they put us up in this like really expensive hotel and like just like yeah it was like um, it was amazing and that was the last one we did and i we kept saying like oh this was our last festival about other festivals and then it was like but we just everything keeps getting better and better so like let's just keep going to them and then it's like okay this is our florida premiere and then you get more specific with those but um that, that's it yeah yeah it just it just got better and better in terms of like building it and that's the thing you can always when you're when you're trying to sell it to the festivals like what, what these guys have just been saying is is very important if you've got lots behind the film and there's some buzz if the festival is trying to choose between your film and someone else's film and you've got a bunch of press behind it mm. it looks like oh okay well you know it's a tough one but it seems like people are really responding to this one so therefore my audience at the festival are more likely to come and see this film. So Very it true. helps with that kind of decision-making uh, for the festivals themselves. Yeah, big social media presence is really important. And the fact that you were doing that and pushing 
It made a big difference. I think it's confusing the kind of line that festivals put out though, because I feel like festivals are always like, oh, we want to be your premiere. We want nothing out there before. Yeah. It means to be yeah. very exclusive. And it's yeah, like, yeah. but you can't be that because when you try and apply to those things and you're like, I want this festival to be a world premiere, then there's obviously going to be nothing about your film yet because you haven't put it out yet. Yeah. So it's like, it's faith, chicken and egg. And it, but it is a, it's a very important point that about, you know, festival status. I mean, there are a whole bunch of different statuses, status, status, stati, 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 that you can offer festivals. You could offer like UK premiere, you could offer the France premiere, or you could offer the European premiere if you're trying to sell them on it more. You could offer the North American continent premiere or the American premiere. But the thing about offering them something is when they receive an email like that, it's not like, can I be in your festival? It's this film's in demand but we want your festival and we will give you this distinguished title you know for you to stick on your marketing when you play it and those kind of things really do help uh, i think well, you know with, with london independent film festival for instance mm -hmm. you know we're opening with much ado on opening night i mean that's a that's a big thing for them to huge say that they're they're sort of opening the festival and it's great for us as well yeah give the date first of april Genesis Cinema. Is it an April's Fool? Is there actually a screening or is, it just, is there just a party? Turn up and you'll find out. <laughs> Don't turn up and you may also find out. <laughs> yeah. but, but how amazing. It has been quite fun with our second film because I think like, because we've already done the whole festival run with Soundtrack 16, we know which festivals like we had a good time at that worked well and we yeah. have relationships with those now. And it's just a bit like, it's just much easier. Like we still apply to them and everything, but it's like, Remember you, us? Yeah, yeah, you can kind yeah. of like message them as well because you've got your emails with them going and be like, you know, do you think you're going to take this or like I want to make the strategy? Cheeky WhatsApp, and, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's just it's just much nicer. It's not like... And, and that's, I mean, I was just going to say just just off Lyft in, in particular, like, I mean, that's, that's a very good point because if you've developed a good relationship with the festival, um, you know, like Natasha runs the, the Lyft, you know, you've played a film with them before. So... The thing is, it's not just about, okay, you're going to let my film in because I know you. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the film is still going to go through the, the, the jury panel. But what it does mean is that if someone who's running the festival has had a great experience and they think, okay, well, we've had the Shakespeare system before. Their last film, we know the attendance was great. We know that their press was great. We know that lots of people responded to it and there was a lot of word out about the festival. It means when you apply again, you've got a lot more chance of getting in But for those reasons. So you develop these festival relationships as time goes on. Mm. Any tips or anything like that for attending festivals as someone who has a film there because you've done quite a few so it has one i mean we've always been like i guess usually as as present as we can be so like i think that has i mean definitely the like the ones that we've been present at we've like those are the ones where we felt like we can go back and ask them mm -hmm. you know um, remember us and we've got a new film and we feel like our chances are better and i guess sometimes the ones there are ones where like actually there was one where we were in a festival in america at the same time we were in a festival in germany and we kind of had to pick um, right. and we went to the German one physically and the other one was virtual so I felt like someone with those ones like I would feel a bit awkward going back because I feel like they might not have seen us as I mean, I, I don't yeah. think that I didn't like us or anything, but we weren't very present because we were too busy at the other one. Although so. I suppose in, in another sense, you could always spin that by going back and say, well, look, you know, we're really sorry we couldn't come last time, but this time, you know, we know we, want so, to. we were so upset that we couldn't come that can we come this time in person? Because that, that's another classic one, especially for anything international, is offer them to go out to the festival. Say, okay, we will come out, we will fly out, we will bring the cast and crew. 
And that, again, is a huge deciding factor for international films at festivals if you're going to attend in person, even more so in COVID. Yeah, I definitely think, I think like everything we've gone to, it's been so worth it. Like I want to go to as many festivals as possible in person because it's just, and even the ones that were virtual, because a lot of our festival run was virtual during COVID. Like, especially when it was like during lockdown, because there's nothing else to do anyway. We just like log in and like chat to people. Yes. Like on their platforms for ages. And Stay up all night because we were in American time zones. That's that right. Was, that was yeah. pretty <laughs> one, one of you staying up all night. But because AFM have been doing, obviously all, all the stuff that has gone online through COVID, it's still been kind of useful. I suppose the difficult, uh, the difficult thing with online is is the networking um for, yeah. for, for me I, I don't know if you well, that's if, the best thing about the festival it, right it's, it's like bumping into people yeah. on the night like okay yeah we, we've just finished the screening you want to go and get some pizza or, or whatever when you're in a zoom room it's like you have the conversation you're going to have and that's it mm-hmm. you know it's like well do you want to swap emails or something yeah. especially when it's like watch my film no watch my film no mm-hmm. watch my film it's totally. like why don't we just play two robots like talking totally. to each other and you're just staring <laughs> at each other on a screen yeah. it's it's less fun isn't it stare at them in person yeah <laughs> let's talk about much ado then let's talk about the making of it because it wasn't long after you'd made soundtrack to 16 did you learn anything going into much ado you know in terms of nothing obvi- <laughs> nothing obviously but you know, the fact that you're, you know, both new and exciting and, and what, I don't know, just maybe talk us through the sort of going, because again, it's before you'd done the festival run. So when we started Much Ado, we still knew almost as little as we knew about the film industry as we did when we were doing much uh, Soundtrack 16, because with Soundtrack, we'd filmed that, but then we both went to university afterwards. I did a PhD in robotics and I was studying German. So we were kind right. of doing the post-production while doing our degrees and it took a while to finish. Sometimes instead of doing our degrees, yeah. <laughs> we'd had a whole you know three or four years in between actually yeah so we still didn't really know what we were doing basically right, that was, that right, was right. the setting for it so we were kind of we felt like we were coming back into film afresh still with no experience in a way because we'd been on set before and all of that and we made a film but we also hadn't ever been in the industry we hadn't been on anybody else's set we like didn't have any friends in film right so we were kind of like i mean we got in touch with some of the old crew from soundtrack 16 but they i don't know it was only a couple of them really that would have been possible and they weren't available for the dates and stuff so we were, we were kind of back to square one and so yeah we just like started from scratch advertising on mandy meeting people like camera sound people yeah we just got really lucky with who we got on board and stuff it was quite a big gamble in that like we were going to be living with these people for three weeks or maybe slightly over and we probably met them like once before that so like with the auditions some of them we had callbacks we met them a few times but like I remember with um, sound guy um, David, who we got on really well with, but we just went to Cambridge to meet him. <laughs> sound guy David. And then we, yeah, Dom knows him as well, but he was, but we just went to like, met him, had like a coffee and we're like, you know, this guy seems all right. And then like, seems sound. same with, uh, <laughs> with um, DOP. And it's like, you know, you've only like had one drink with them and then you're just going, now you're going to live with them, mm-hmm. do everything with them and yep. like hope it works out. And there were about 30 of us living together which was kind wow. of mad. Yeah, it was three weeks in one house, all of us living together. It was extremely intense. It's a big old house, right? Yeah, it was like, it wasn't big enough for all of us though. <laughs> I mean, we had like, oh. kind of like what we call like the frat. Like frat yeah, side. I mean, like, like, it wasn't like everyone had a bedroom, in one room, And then, yeah, like it kind of depended who needed more sleep, but then, you know, like had like a bunch of girls in another room. And then we had like a crew, like outhouse, but basically everyone was like pretty on top of each other and we'd have dinner together every day, like round the, table and like that was really nice um but then also you can't there was no place to 
like get away which i think mm. was really different from soundtrack to 16 because i think at the time i thought soundtrack to 16 was hard and then when we did much ado i was like no that wasn't hard because with soundtrack to 16 like you, you go home at the end of the day and like rest and like be alone and i'm i'm actually quite an introvert as well so i think mm. i kind of do need that time whereas when we did much ado it was like going to the toilet was like probably the most time you'd have alone like yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, t I totally understand. Yeah. yeah, decompressing is is so important, and uh, you know, sleep sleep and decompressing, I, I think, are, are so important when you're sort of because you're stuck in such high stress environments with so many people that are making demands off you on films. Yes, that not being able to actually get away and have just some some space and a bit of quiet and, and time really does add a, another layer of challenge, um, and especially like people you haven't met before. So how did you cope with it? How did you manage to? Okay, this is intense. What anything you learned that was like okay I lots of drugs <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of Red Bull <laughs> yeah. I actually got to a point where I was so tired I'd get Jim who's my friend who I brought down to be line producer he was like watching the progression from coffee to Red Bull to asking him to slap me in the morning <laughs> <laughs> Can we can we take that as a soundbite? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I guess also like there was kind of it's like you really wanted to like play and have fun because everyone was always like like having having fun and like drinking and stuff in between like after and mm. you kind of had to just like like kind of emotionally just remove yourself and be like I'm going to be like the boring mm. kind of teacher figure almost of like you know like go to bed and uh, yeah I think I guess with Soundtrack to 16 I felt like it was easier to be because I was just there as a writer really because Hillary was directing anyway so I just like hung out with the cast all the time and like had a great time had a great time and the yeah. time I got stressed was when like someone would be like I don't like this line I'd be like oh god oh god but with Much Ado it was more like every single day there was so much demanded of of us that like you kind of just had to be like i can't really have fun you just gotta like and and if people are having fun over there just like cut yourself off and like don't look at it <laughs> don't look at the fun it's one of the hardest things i think as a filmmaker when people are having fun and again you can join in a bit but actually you've you've got to get on with your job which is making the film which means you do need to get enough sleep okay. it's really important to prep for the next day and you can't do that if you're getting pissed and having a laugh and messing around well i said i've seen i've seen that to jars i mean i think maybe some people function better without sleep or you know after 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 drink but i was always like after doing like a really exhausting day if, if you're like doing directing or, or producing you've already got like a limited amount of time when you get home before you've got to prep for the next day and you're, you're already sort of deprived of sleep so for me like i would always have i would always make that decision okay i am going to be antisocial. i'm just going to go home um and and, and have that quiet time and, and rest so that you can think the next day and and it is a difficult one when everyone's having fun but at the end of the day you have to be in charge of all of those decisions and you have to have the mental clarity to do that you do i had this fact the other day that if you don't get at least seven hours sleep and this isn't for everyone i think it's like one out of I don't know, a hundred that are okay with less. But if you get that much sleep, you can perform to your abilities. If you don't and you're under that, you can perform to 70% less of what you would normally. It is full, it's, it's, it's often false, false economy if you, if you don't. Absolutely. It's true if you're getting drunk and, you know, not, and burning the candle at both ends, which you do on a film set anyway, not the drunk bit most of the time, but you, you're actually trying to make the film. So you are knackered and you are pushing yourself through it. 
and you're not sleeping because you're waking up going, oh, what's that shot? Oh my God, I've got to get that. And what's this tomorrow and that and that. But the more sleep you can get on a film set, the better you'll be. Yeah, I wish I'd slept more. But there really, I mean, there really wasn't time because we'd shoot like... Hillary's the one in a hundred. And then, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm definitely not functioning that well, but it's like sometimes maybe... Fun- I mean, li- but there's just things that literally need the time, you know? Like mm. you've got to have the schedule for the next day. You've got, got to have to. the call sheet done. Do and if it's not done, you're still just staying up doing it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I guess the problem with this film, and this is like definitely something I think we won't do again is like me and Anna were doing like almost all the roles it's like we were writing directing producing we like kind of ADing like we had yeah production managing by the sounds of it yeah yeah two people like subbing in as AD but they were kind of I mean we were doing the scheduling and that kind of stuff so Mm. it was quite like yeah it was just it was just everything and running the house and just like running things in general and so it was like there just wasn't I don't know, there wasn't any time to sleep because like the, the this night time was my like production time <laughs> yeah and it's brutal it is and it goes to show that if you do as much prep beforehand just have a hillary on set have a hillary on set but then when things go wrong it's you're okay to it's hillary's change fault. It. It's hillary's <laughs> fault. but you're okay to change your mind and try and go adapt you know yeah. but when you haven't any sleep and the pressures of being on set anyway are so huge everything's minute detail is where the cup is and where this is suddenly someone will argue about it actually it's like it's all right you know what i mean let's just try and but that when no one's had to sleep and everyone is knackered and someone's upset with the way someone spoke to them or they're not doing a good enough job, but maybe they'll push that onto someone else by arguing with them about it. And then things get tense. So you've got to be prepared for all that. And it's really, really hard. I do think when you think about it, it's like a miracle any film gets made. It's like funny you get to this stage and then like you're kind of thinking about what people might say in their reviews and like they're thinking about all the intellectual stuff about it. And I'm like, it's lucky this film even is complete. Like, do you know? It is a miracle. It's a miracle. And the fact you did two without really having any background in it is incredible while doing degrees or PhDs or, you know, quitting them. (laughs) 2.5 degrees. 2.5, yeah, you still got two others. But the fact that you did that is incredible. Give a little rundown of Much Ado then and then we'll dive maybe a little bit more into it. It's obviously a Shakespeare adaptation. So the the play is Much Ado About Nothing and... I guess what we did differently is um, it's kind of like a teen version. Like they're all like a university, um, university like students and they're basically in their holiday. The main characters are Beatrice and Hero who are cousins and best friends and they live together. And then this group of like rugby boys basically descends on the house. And then much like the shoot, we all, they're all like stuck together. And Beatrice has her ex-boyfriend there, Benedict, and Hero has her like mega crush, Claudio. And, um, they're kind of lots of like love triangles and, and madness ensues. Our kind of take on it was to set it in our kind of genre um, because we'd done obviously like coming of age and, and teenage stuff so far. So yeah, that we kind of tried to set it in like kind of our world and our genre. So how did you manage to raise the money for the films then? Certainly let's maybe much ado a little bit more in this sense what well how did you go about the process of obviously both films but i mean to be totally honest with much ado we just self-funded it because it was like it really really was low budget if you can't tell from what we said already it was like (laughs) it was very much like just trying to get everybody together and like everyone that was on board was kind of knew that we were doing something like this that was like kind of just trying to make it work um yeah so i think it, it kind of was the budget of like a short it's not really yeah it's like I think sometimes people ask us like whether you, you think you should put that kind of money into like a, a good like look high budget looking short or mm. like 
make it stretch to like a quite a scrappy feature like us but I guess like I like the fact that we've done features because I feel like they're like something we've learned about the whole process of feature from but um I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't do it again but would you because because I mean the thing is you don't know what it's actually I I would say from a, a finance point of view like one of the main things from financiers I know a lot that have seen very high quality shorts but the question becomes, mm. well, you've done a nice short, but, can but it's not a feature. Can you do a feature? Yeah. And for me, I think the I think the challenge from you know an investment point of view or, or that whatever is a short. It can be shot over like two or three days, and it can be pulled on favors entirely. To have the staying power to get something seen from start to end that's ninety minutes is a completely different ball game, and it's so much more work and time and effort. You know, although yes, you probably could have done like a, a higher production value short the amount that you learn and the the fact that you prove that, oh, actually we can do it. I'm sure it's helped in terms of getting future features off the ground for you guys. Yeah, and I also, I think as well, like people, you know, the fact that people will view it and then you can get like a good, you know, re reputation for like people actually want to watch. Whereas I think it's hard to get people like interested in shorts in the same way. Mm. Um, so I think I'm, I definitely think the way we went about it worked for us and, I always feel like features are kind of more our wheelhouse just because not that you can't have like emotional shorts, but I think we are kind of skill set. We're best at doing kind of like the long emotional story rather than maybe like the more kind of world building side of things or kind of picturesque side of things. So I kind of always feel like that's more aligned with like what we actually want to do and what we're good at. So I think it was definitely the right decision for us. Yeah, when I said I wouldn't do it again, I don't mean I wouldn't go back and do it again. I mean, I won't do it going forward again hopefully because yeah, yeah, I sure. want to make yeah, yeah, a bunch yeah. of things now <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, makes, that makes sense does, completely. Yeah, and I love shorts much too people don't think I Giles do Giles doesn't like shorts just to, just to clarify no, to clarify Tobias won't cut it out because I, he, he knows I do. Tobias is our editor and, oh, and Giles has persecuted the poor boy <laughs> about not doing a feature film I'd made a load of shorts when I first started it was so important to just get myself being a director if I could have made a feature then I would have done. I'd have learned so much from it. And I'm so glad that what you're saying is, no, yeah, we could have made a short, but actually we wouldn't now be opening night of London International Film Festival with our second feature because we went and just made another feature, self-funded it and did everything yourselves. You, And I also think the lesson as well going forward is when, you, you know, let's say you do get a five million pound budget, which I'm sure you will at some point, you'll go, this is, this is brilliant. This is easy. There's loads of people doing all the jobs we did before, but you know how to do them. And because you know how to do them, it's easier to manage. It's easier to control. It's easier to know what they're going through. Yeah, and so to you communicate, communicate that in properly. a reasonable way. Not Absolutely. Like, yeah. Can you build that set for me by tomorrow? Exactly. When you know yeah. that it takes like half, half a day to, to dry the plastering. Yeah. Yeah, which, which I did recently on Three Day Millionaire. And suddenly when you're doing it, you understand. You go, oh my God, okay, right. This is what they're going through. Or in the past we've held booms, you know, I think that's really important. And the other side, the people can't take advantage of you as much because quite often people are like, oh yeah, no, that's going to be this much. And you're like, I know it's not. Because I, know I know it's really yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you learn it. And that, I think that's yeah. brilliant to learn it all from the I ground exactly up. exactly how much those pastries cost. <laughs> <laughs> and this cake is delicious. And my voice is it's gone croaky because I've eaten so much of this lovely cake. It's amazing. Look at it. It's for the, for the it's record, the... I may have eaten quite a lot of cake. Uh, there's a lot now crumpled. I, I apologise to the other cake eaters that and... I inadvertently have eaten a lot of cake. Well, that's us in the room, Dom. Yeah. 
So um, you're apologising to us. I am apologising to you. Thank um, you. I mean, it, it, it's interesting with shorts as well, because, I mean, what you're saying about story arcs and, and narrative arcs, but it, it, shorts, they're good training exercises, I think, in telling a story in a very condensed amount of time. 100%. And they're good because you can make something with, you know, a couple of days, you can get people together. There isn't the impossibility of like, I've got to arrange three weeks of shooting or two weeks of shooting and I've got to see this through and it's a month and month, month and long commitment. You can using it as a training thing and you can learn a lot in a very short amount of time. But the stuff that we grew up watching is features. Like we learn stories over a 90 minute period of time and trying to do the, the short filmmaking route is, is quite a different thing and it's, Again, that's why it's difficult to, you know, talk to financiers about doing a bigger feature with the use of a short because they're completely different narrative mediums. A short often isn't anything to do with the kind of traditional storybook or film narrative arcs. Yeah. You often it's it's something that sort of introduces as a concept, characters go through some kind of arc and then maybe there's a twist at the end, maybe there's not. Some doesn't it doesn't even have to have that. So it's it is a completely different ball game. Mm -hmm. So on on much ado then, let's talk about the process of making that film. You said it was, you know, you were both it was grueling, you were both doing everything now. Talk us through that mindset, what you learned, how you planned it and how you shot it. Yeah, so I guess we were thinking about this earlier with like planning and uh it being so low budget. I think we did do quite good kind of setting expectations at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um because we kind of did know to a certain extent that it was going to be difficult. So we did tell everyone going in and luckily I think one of the other things that they were kind of, a lot of them were like really keen on Shakespeare or they had like a love for that. So they were also like, okay, I'm willing to do these like grueling days. And so I guess we, we kind of made sure to tell everyone like it's going to be quite intense. Yeah, that was kind of part of the audition in a way. Like we'd do the audition to know that they could do Shakespeare, but then at the end we'd be kind of like, okay, just just like, so you know, you know, it would be all of us living in a house for this long. And like, how do you feel about that? And like seeing how they kind of responded. Cause I mean, we did need people that kind of were willing to get into it with us, you know, like. It's going yeah. to be going to the barracks. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, th I think that's one of the really interesting. I think I think you guys are very good at that. Actually, is talking to people like quite frankly and, and in a sort of a business way without, you know, the, the difficult thing is when you're doing a, a difficult conversation, it's having it in a, in a calm manner, but setting expectations and, and gauging what people's expectations are on these kind of, because if, if you have like one or two or three people that are expecting to be paid on, you know, advertising APA rates, and then suddenly they're in, you know, crammed in working long hours in a, you know, an indie film, and, and it, it's not the same kind of system, and they're used to that, you can have a horrendous clash between what they're expecting in their minds and what the reality of a, of a really tough independent shoot is. And it's it's about telling them in advance, isn't it, I guess, uh, and, and gauging what kind of people they are and whether they're actually fit for that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Because you were thinking, obviously, there is a place for people to be like, oh, you know, now this is overtime. Now this is like, this is my Not rate on your and stuff. Well, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully one day on our sets, but you know, there's yeah. gotta be a set that has like a budget that's high enough for that stuff. And if you if it's between like being able to do that for people and pay them their industry rates or not making the film at all at our kind of level, you know? Right. So it's like yeah. either, you know, it's not, we're not trying to like shaft anybody. No. We're just, you know, yeah. we're trying to get people on board that are in it to make the film with us all as a team. Yeah. like so that we can make a film yeah because otherwise we can't make a film and i guess hopefully at the right like experience level and that's why they want to do it as well like you know if everyone's kind of stepping up together then that's quite good i think like quite a lot of the actors it was probably their first feature role and like i think tom hadn't done a feature either the dp so i feel like people are willing to 
mm. kind of put the, those things aside if it's like they are getting something out of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. There is a lot of discussion and debate on this side of things. And I think it's very difficult if you're from a crew perspective and you've been working, you know, in, in a certain industry for a while, you think, okay, well, I, I should be getting paid this. And, you know, why wouldn't I? And it's killing the industry. And there is a, a side of that where big companies aren't paying people enough and they're cutting corners and they're, you know, undervaluing people. But on the other side of things, if you are starting out, the filmmakers and the producers and the directors, they are the ones that are going to be the ones coming through in the industry. They're going to be the ones working on the bigger productions in two or three years or, or whatever. They're going to be the ones with the budgets that are going to be looking to, to hire those people. If they can't learn on these smaller budget things, then how, how are they supposed to learn? How are they supposed to make a living? How are they supposed to earn their own thing? Because there's not the same employment routes in, you know, unless you go down the runner route, which can be very haphazard to actually learn those crafts sometimes. And you have to just go out and find people that are willing to do it with you. Yeah. So do. And that's why it's great. You do set the bar from the off and you did and said, hey, look, this is what we're doing. There's no money. It's going to be tough. All living together. If you're up for it, great. <laughs> Don't complain later. You know what I mean? Because at least you're setting the stall, which is great. What about your directing style together then? Because obviously it's the first time directing together a feature as well. How did that work? How did one of you talk to the actor? Did you take it in turns? Talk us through that. Yeah, so it's pretty different from Soundtrack 16 where Hillary was just directing and then I'd give her kind of notes and then she would tell the actors on behalf of both of us um mm. and obviously she she was directing that one on her own but i'd have like notes as as like a writer and then directing the two of us i guess we're still kind of like working it out in a way because there's lots of different ways of doing it and i think what really worked was i mean we generally do have the same vision for everything like we're i guess we spend like you know 20 almost 24 hours a day together or whatever so we're quite you know we have all the same references and like all the same vision for things and we, there's not really a thing we haven't like talked about to the degree where sometimes you're like we've had this conversation before but like it does mean that the the kind of like getting your vision into someone's head part is already done and then hopefully you can be really efficient and when we are you know at our best we kind of just split up and talk to different actors and then you can be quite efficient because you can get them both kind of on the same page yeah. and then go back into the scene. Yeah, no, I was going to say, between what we want to take in the next, it always feels like there's so little time. So just having two yeah. of us to go and talk to everyone, it's like how quickly can we get our vision that I think is a joint vision into everybody else's head. Great, um, yes. So then it does kind of just at least parallelise that a little bit. Mm. Yeah, it must do. That must make a big difference because me... Like after I finish the take, I've I've got about six, seven notes in my head that I want to tell that actor, that actor, maybe the DP, and you might get round five of them. Suddenly you go, oh god, because someone's asked you a certain question that and you might, forgotten. <laughs> yeah, 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 and you, you can't remember what that other one was. And it's uh, so I've done that right. The last person I've gone up to them and gone. Oh God, I forgot what it was. I need to say something <laughs> just now. Yeah. Just better. <laughs> and, and you can't like write down at the same time as watching the take. So if you want to write down your thoughts, it's like you need someone else to watch the take. What do you do for that? My head just manages to remember those certain notes. But actually someone gave me a tip the other day, which I might use moving forward, which was actually to have a notepad. And don't look at it, but write it down. So you say, oh, uh, whatever you want to do on, you know, the reaction's wrong. Eye line needs to be there. Da, da, da. So you're kind of writing it and then hope you can read your own writing. Yeah. Yeah. Because that would be the worst. You go, oh, I've got a note for you, but I can't fucking read it. Yeah. I think actually quite often, I think this is kind of like how in tune we are sometimes. That I'm about to, I was like, oh, and there's something else. And I'll be like, oh, it was this. When we hadn't like talked to each other, but because you good. know what I'd missed off because we've got all the same notes like in our backup heads. Backup hard drive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah backup hard drive, which is great. Talk about 
the next stage uh, with what's happening next as well and how you've moved forward even more. You know, the fact that uh, Much Ado is having it, you know, it's amazing. The London International Film Festival, and obviously then released later this year, that's great. But you must be planning next. And obviously you might not want to do something as low budget anymore or self-fund it. Talk us through how you're moving forward. Well, I guess we, so we've got kind of two projects that we're working on now. One is this uh, book adaptation that we kind of, we're still just, we've just written the first draft of it, um, okay, but we're adapting great. a book. And then another one is The Unreason, which John's working on as well, that um, is like... The fun reason. <laughs> the, uh, that one we're producing and um, Chris Redding's directing. So that's kind of a bit different for us because we okay. haven't... Um, well, we have produced our films, but we haven't but produced without just directing. Produced. Yeah. How are you finding that and how are you balancing it? I mean, I definitely want to be a director, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. not a producer. I mean, yeah. we're part, part of the writing team as well. So we've had like creative input on it. And I think that is kind of what is, I guess that's the part that I definitely enjoy more just because... I guess we kind of, and with this one as well, we kind of started... The Unreason. Yeah, we yep. kind of started working on it and then we started doing script editing and then we like worked on it more and did, and just kind of became, like just started producing it. It was one of those things that like built. So yeah, it's been, it's been good, but I think I, both of us kind of prefer having like full creative control generally. Like I think in future we'll probably write and direct, but then it's I mean, also been really great to... Jobs that are like the worst jobs. Yeah, I do right. hate producing yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard being a producer. There's no glamour in it at all. It's just you've got to nuts and bolts and make sure everything works properly. It's basically that you're doing everything but give the actor's direction. That's pretty much produ- you're doing everything. You have to be on top of everything, otherwise it can fall down. And it's kind of smoothing everything over as well, isn't it? It's, it's making sure that everyone's happy. It's just that kind of general managing and making sure everybody on the set is doing what they're supposed to be doing and if, yeah. the, if there's problems finding out solutions to that and keeping that keeping people insulated as well I guess and also make it, it, one clever thing being a producer is to try and put out the fires before they happen so if you can see a problem or see something that might pop up is get there early alright let's see what, what was happening there that I can see there might be an issue later or tomorrow's that or next week's that let me get on top of this now has someone done that has someone done this and it's hard work you know because that's literally asking people if they've done their jobs a lot or have you done, you know what I mean? And that's, it's not the, it's not creative. It's kind of being a mummy, you know, I don't I mean, okay, the kid hasn't done, right, have you, have you washed your hands? Have you, you know what I mean? After the toilet, it's a little bit like that. And that's definitely not creative. It's not why I got into this business. Don, I wanted to ask you actually, what do you prefer? Because you've done a lot of producing in the last four years. Well, I mean, I, I completely agree in, in a sense of how you get involved in a project just as a quick sidebar. Um, the, I didn't the, ask for a sidebar. Well, I'm giving you it. Okay. I'm giving it. Um, <laughs> asking a producer directly to produce your film is often quite a difficult thing to do. And there will often, the instinct, which is, which is very annoying if you're the person asking, is I've got too many projects on, I can't do it. But if you get integrated by helping develop something and that they ask you for advice and they like the project and they like you and they like the team and they can see it developing and they're not the only one doing the effort, that's a very good way to get a producer on board your project. In terms of which one I prefer, I I mean, I, I have different perspectives. I can be more emotionally removed when I'm producing with still the same kind of amount of effort. So for me, like I can come in onto this and I can negotiate and onto the unreason, onto the unreason, yep. and you know, help with locations was a, was a big thing I helped with. I can I can go in there and fight for you know the, the film and because I like the team and I like the the script, I can do that without any real 
real concern and I can get really involved in, in that side of thing. And I personally find it very rewarding because it's kind of, it's managing relationships. It's, it's building trust with people that own places or location, or it's helping mm -hmm. with crew. All those things I, I see just as, as problem solving. As a director, it's like you're kind of putting your heart and soul on the line for something that you may have spent years developing. And it's almost like you're putting yourself on the screen. So with those jobs, you know, ultimately that's, it's a very different kind of fulfillment, but I wouldn't say any's, any's better than the other. I think I do producing because I love producing. I do directing because it's kind of my calling. There you go. Great answer. I enjoyed that sidebar. Yeah, that, yeah. The explanation of Dom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <a> backstory. <laughs> so listen, this has been brilliant. This has been really cool. I look forward to you coming on the third time and when we can chat up and chat about the unreason and the book as well and all things that are moving forward with you. Real, huge congratulations on where you're at. Uh, the 1st of April, people can go see uh, Much Ado, London Independent Film London Festival. Independent. You'd be an April Fool not to. Uh, so there we go. Thank you so much for coming on again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. Yeah. I will just say, anyone who does come to the cinema, Genesis Cinema, we're going to have an after party and it will be fun. So you should definitely come. <laughs> of course there is. Of course there's an after party. Live music, drinks. Well done, everyone. Remember, you can go out there and make your indie film. You can do it for your own fun. You can go out there and just make it. If you want, uh, you can put your own money in. You can find other people's money. You can work with whatever crew you can find and cast you find on the street. Whatever you want, go and make your film. Make it happen. Uh, and then do as the Shakespeare sisters have done and do the festival route. Make sure it works route. for you. I've done Back it in America again. It's, uh, American route. fans are really happy with this, Dom. <laughs> well, someone has been. Unbelievable. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well. Send the elevator back down. It's your duty to send the elevator back down. Dom, how many years it, have you it's done been, this? It's been quite a few. You're still co-host or are we making you host yet? Well, you just bought me a nice new microphone, actually. I actually have. <laughs> so, uh, host. Yeah, so he yeah, is. The other, the other, other co-host is going to be upset about that. <laughs> so, until next Tuesday, as always, thank you, Anna. Thank you, uh, everyone else who's here, Dom. <laughs> thank you, Hillary. Thank you, Hillary, as well. Thank you, Cake. Cake. Thank you for the cake. This has been amazing. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Dom. Pleasure. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? <laughs> Thou art more lovely and more temperate. <laughs> <laughs> I hope his voice is back to normal next week. So do I. Dom. Have I told you lately that I love you? Probably too many times. Have I told you there's no one else above you? Roll the episode. You fill my heart <laughs> with gladness. <laughs> Take away all my sadness. Ease my trouble. That's what you do. That's what you do. Okay. <laughs> right. Are we done?